Welcome to Career Tools. Today's topic, the third rule of customer service, over-communicate. Today, Mark and I describe how to deliver effective customer service by over-communicating. Here we go. How hard can customer service be, right? I mean, the, the customer service rule, the golden rule is known, right? And that's the customer is always right. I mean, yeah. how, how much more difficult can it be? <laughs> well, the problem is, is that everybody wants to think there's only one rule and they want and then when things don't follow that rule, they want to argue about that rule, right? They want to say, well, no, the customer wasn't right. They're, they're mean. They're not nice or whatever, right? So- there's more than one rule. That's the thing. If there's a second rule, what would the second rule be? Oh, it's be nice. You know, even if the customer's in your face, it's, I've called this the roadhouse rule before for the, the, <laughs> yeah. the movie with Patrick Swayze is the, the, the cooler in a bar talking to the, the bouncers saying, you know, the first rule is be nice, be nice, be nice, no matter what, even when people are swinging at you. And look, and then there's a third rule too, which is what this cast is about, of course, right? Which is over communicate too many people don't, you know, they, they, they say one thing and they expect the customer that that's all we need. And, and unfortunately, the un, uncertainty in an interaction leads to dissatisfaction. Uncertainty leads to dissatisfaction. And the only way you can dispel uncertainty is to address it with communication, right? And uh, as Wendy likes to say, it ought to be renamed the Amazon rule, which is our favorite internet bookseller. And they like us too, by the way. You know, they, they send emails every step of the process, right? You buy a book, you get a confirmation, you get, a, you get an email when it's, when it's it, it, being processed, when it's shipped, you know, when the, when the shipper has it, everything. And actually, our recommendation regarding the third rule, over-communicate, means communicate between steps as well. Doesn't it, doesn't, though, this create a lot of extra work on, on the, the person communicating with the customers? I mean, a lot of unnecessary work, potentially. Well, I would argue two things about that. No, the answer is no. It doesn't actually take less work. It seems more work at the time, but it takes less in the long run, first of all, because dealing with an unhappy or an uncertain customer, and uncertain customers often turn unhappy fairly quickly, dealing with an uncertain and unhappy customer takes much longer later when you really can't solve the problem because the problem is how they feel right? And you can actually make an enormous difference simply by making customers certain or increasing their certainty. You know, Wendy tells a story, she's told me the story several times that when, when she uses this technique in a customer service role, she, she cut the number of calls she got from customers in half. And, you know, we, we, we think sending an email is, is, well, you know, I got to send an email or I got to, I got to make a phone call or whatever. There's a big difference between you making a phone call to a customer that takes a minute and a customer calling you, which takes a minute, right? Because in order for them to justify calling you, it has to become important, more important than whatever else they're doing. And whatever else they're doing is more important than actually calling to verify whatever it is you provide them. So in her case, she was getting 30 calls an hour and she cut that number of calls in half. 30 calls an hour is, is virtually you know impossible to deal with. She was always behind. And the rationale is let, let's cut that in half. And the way you do that is you proactively communicate. And that's why we call this the third rule, which is over communicating. Okay. 
So how are we going to go through this today? What, what are we going to talk about? Our first point today is regard everyone as a customer. We don't mean everyone in all situations, but we do mean that the standard definition of customer as someone who pays money for a, the use of a good or a service is far too narrow and limiting in our professional development. Uh, there are many people who consume the services that we provide internally in our organizations, and those people can be considered our customers. And to the point of this cast, if we can over-communicate with them, we can increase their certainty of the value of what we're doing and decrease their uncertainty, which decreases the chances that we're going to have a difficult situation later. Uh, rule number two is it, the, the, the core of this cast is communicate twice as often as you think you need to. And I can't tell you the number of times where the extra phone call made an enormous difference. And in fact, those of you who are aficionados of Horseman's Laws will find one, uh, will find a law that addresses that very directly. And, and number three, we'll talk briefly about what to communicate. What do we recommend you talk about rather than, and we've had, when I've talked to clients about this before and said, look, you need to communicate more often with all your customers. Oh, what do I say? Well, we're going to tell you what to say as well. Good. Okay. So let's go back to your, your first point, regard everyone as a customer, because we often hear that. And most people hear that very early in their career. They hear something like, you know, everyone has a customer wherever they work. In right. The organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. They yeah. hear it very early and it's terribly confusing. They don't know what it means. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, when you work in an internal team and you never see or hear from the organization's ultimate customers, it, it doesn't make any sense. But look, if somebody's calling you, if somebody needs something from you, then in a sense, they're a customer, right? People who read our reports, people who use our information are, in a sense, our customers. We're part of the value chain that delivers the ultimate good or service to the customer. And I talk about the organization customer, the one that actually pays all of our salaries uh, indirectly, if you will. So look, let's do this. Let, let's use some examples. You know, in fact, I was talking to an engineer recently, a system engineer, and um, she was struggling with, okay, you know, how is my work used? And in about five minutes, we were able to walk through the implications of her work on the ultimate customer. The problem on her team was the boss was trying so hard, and it, it, I, I'm, I'm sure he had good reason for it. Maybe, maybe not, but let's assume positive intent. Uh, the boss was trying so hard to insulate everyone from the ultimate use of the by the customer of their work that no one really felt engaged, and, and no one felt that there was any implications to their work. And frankly, the actual internal customers that they were working for were hard to deal with and, and demanding and not pleasant. And, you know, I've tried to make a point over the years that there's a difference between demanding and unpleasant. Um, we've said over and over again, the, the best bosses in the world are very demanding, right? And the best customers in the world are very demanding. And of course, they're pleasant while doing so. This particular one was demanding and unpleasant. And, and, and uh, so it was easy to kind of shut down on the team emotionally, not professionally, but emotionally. Um, so let's go over some examples. And, and Mike, you've got some too, I'm sure, but but these are ones that, that Wendy and I jotted down that we thought would be helpful for folks. So if you're in sales, it's easy, right? You've got your external customers. But then look, like it or not, you've got order processing people who need to know information from you regarding what you're selling. You've got accounts people who may be responsible for talking to other people at the customer in a different way. Uh, order fulfillment, right? Those people need information from you. If they're calling saying, well, do we want a widget or a gidget, right? 
well, okay, that's a customer to you because they're, they're responsible for delivering something to the external customer and your knowledge to them is going to affect their ability to do that. Right. Marketing would be a customer, right? You owe them sales results, right? So they can yeah, measure exactly. the effectiveness yeah. of their campaigns, for example. Yeah. And here's the problem with that. You, you just made a, br- this is really, really good to do this early in the list because I know there's a salesperson out there right now go, well, no, no, no. Say marketing is not a customer of mine because I'm a customer of marketing. Exactly. Marketing's job is to, is to uh, create products and services and communication devices and so on that in that that motivate customers to talk to salespeople, right? So I'm really a customer of marketing. And the answer is you're both customers of each other. If you have interchange with one another, if they expect X from you and you expect Y from them, you're both customers of each other. And you know, maybe you can argue, well, gee, I don't like that title then customers, but I think it's helpful. I, I think it's helpful to use the phrase of somebody else expects something from you to remind us that internal customers ultimately serve serve external customers and the word customer ought to have a lot of power because they pay our salaries. And so we use the phrase as a way of reminding everybody, let's not get into a tit for tat of you owe me X and I owe you Y and so therefore interconnected. Let's talk about each other as customers and then let's step up to the standard of how would we want to be treated if we were a customer or how would we, how do we believe our company wants to treat customers? I think that's a powerful way to think about it. Yeah, and that's what drives me crazy about, you know, when I have conversations with IT executives and they they say, well, marketing is not my customer. They're my business partner. It's like, oh, oh. God, it's right. It's the whole point, the whole the whole issue of of being subservient, putting yourself in right. a position of being subservient or serving your customer. And partnership doesn't doesn't suggest that, I don't think. You know, I didn't expect to talk about this now, but, you know, five years ago, um, I would have gone on a rant about IT people and and the mistake they're making. I'm oh, wait, wait. Five years here. ago, you would have gone on a rant on IT people? No, yeah. <laughs> I, on this topic. On this topic. If you'll remember, when we first started working together years ago, the whole point I made in, in terms of your organization serving marketing, right, is marketing as the customer. And in that case, it was easy because marketing had the budgets for all the IT projects you guys were doing. I made the point of, if you call marketing your business partner, if you elevate yourself compared to what they see, because they see themselves as outranking you because they're the customer, right? If you elevate yourself and marketing doesn't agree, you saying it's like you saying, I'm equivalent to my boss. Well, the first thing your boss does is raise themselves up a level to prove to you and usually it's punishment or it's it's some sort of order giving that reminds you, you're not my business partner. And IT's growing influence on organizations in the last 20 years has done a lot to help IT really have a major seat at the table because technology makes an enormous difference in, in terms of leverage and in terms of delivery and in terms of creativity and so on in the marketplace. The problem is that leverage has 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 caused IT people to say, I'm now the, the business partner. And I, I'm so glad you reminded me of this, of, of marketing. And you can think that, but there's a difference between thinking and saying, and the real value is, even if you want to call them a business partner in your head, the fact is, if they see themselves as a customer to you, you don't want to you don't want to try to promote yourself to be their peer. And this thinking of customers is an important mindset. Let, let me be clear: it's it's not in this cast anywhere. But if you're not willing to subserve, uh, make yourself subservient to a fellow professional in your workplace, 
you're unlikely to be highly successful as a professional. If you're always looking at roles where you have power and somebody else doesn't, if you don't recognize that serving another and putting somebody else above you is actually powerful, you're going to struggle in many, many roles in many, many organizations. Let me, let me say it the manager tools way, if I could, which is you can think of yourself as a partner. Doesn't, right. if, you, if you want to think of yourself as a partner, go ahead act and behave as if they're the customer. So I'm sorry. So that was, that was a little tangent. It wasn't a rant. Hopefully <laughs> nobody thinks that's a rant. It's a powerful, the one I think it's an important one, right? Folks, if, if you're a young technical person in your organization and you were hired because of your technical skills, add this concept to your toolkit now. And that is don't think technology necessarily runs your company and customers essentially drive your company, serving customers does. And you've got internal customers. And if you can be confident and and even proud of your technical skills, but keep that Marshall's baton in your knapsack. Don't let it stick out too terribly much and then serve other people to be confident and competent in your area of expertise and then add to that a mentality of professionalism around service. That's the ideal marriage. It's not saying I'm confident and competent in my technical skills and so therefore I deign to give you what I have because I know something you don't know. That leads to arrogance and it's unprofessional and it is corrosive to relationships which are so important to your career. Okay, so look, if you're if you're in accounts, right? If you're if you're in finance, if you're in accounting, all the departments who rely on accurate figures, every single line manager in the company is your customer from the standpoint of them needing data from you. They they don't keep track of every single sale every single day to know, you know, how did we do this month? If, if they did, they would never be saying, gosh, how quickly can we have the quarterly figures, right? If you're in IT, Everybody who has a computer and every system that relies on processing, you know, on, on clock cycles, they're your customers. Yeah, you're, you're hosed. You're completely hosed at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoken from a guy who's been hosed before, right? And yeah, but, but here's something. You know what's funny? The one place where you'd like to believe you'd get this service mentality is in, in the help desk, right? And what's funny is you can actually probably find more people with a service mentality in non-help desk roles in IT than you can actually at help desk. In fact, I want to say uh, my son Drake once showed me a, uh, a sign that he found on, on a website that says, uh, if the help desk doesn't like your customer we, or doesn't like your question, we reserve the right to set you on fire. <laughs> right. right, right, right. And, and what was funny is you actually, if you read that, if you're at the help desk, which of course is obviously less that happens, the physicality of being at a help desk is less frequent than it used to be. Um, but if you read that, you'd probably have a good chuckle because the chances that they actually mean it are pretty small. And then therefore they have a sense of humor about the imperiousness with which they handle customer questions and so on. Okay. But, but look, if you're a receptionist, anybody in the building who might have a visitor, anyone in the building is potentially your customer. How do I make the person who comes in the door feel good in preparation for their meeting with this person who is my customer to say nothing of the fact that the visitors are in the form of, you uh, could, could be a customer, right? If you're in marketing, external customers certainly are your customer. Order processing is a customer. Production is a customer because you're trying to create demand for a product that's going to be served by production and fulfillment as well and sales as well. Yeah, because so sales is a customer of marketing, but marketing is also a customer of sales. If you're in engineering, you know, 
sales and marketing. Upstream stuff, people upstream of you are a customer. Uh, if you're in downstream, I mean, uh, production people are definitely a customer. If you're in product development, fulfillment matters, right? If you're in security, external visitors are a customer in the sense of them feeling safe and you creating systems that allow them to get done what they need to get done without it being onerous to them. But everybody in the building too is your customer in terms of making them feel safe. If you're thinking right now that you don't have a customer, then really, seriously, I don't know that this cast is going to be terribly helpful to you. We would argue that you're wrong. Uh, we would be polite about it, but we would argue that you're wrong. And I'd be willing to bet if you go a couple levels up and you said to somebody in your organization, nah, I don't think I have a customer really. I think a, a wise executive would probably say, you know, that's the kind of thinking that doesn't get you ahead in the world. Exactly. You know, the key point of this is that despite that all these other departments, they all work for the same company, it's incumbent upon us to treat them as customers. And that means following all the rules of customer service. The customer is always right, to be nice, and over-communicate. Yeah, yeah. Whether you work in a big organization, whether you're far from the front line of customer service reps who are actually taking calls and, and, and solving problems, or if you work directly with customers, regarding everybody that you meet or interact with on a daily basis as your customer will change the way you communicate with them. I mean, you know, I'll give you a good example. As often as I fly, this mentality of seeing people as a customer is an individual choice because I've met flight attendants who don't have this mentality and I've met baggage handlers who do. Right now, gosh, you would think in the, in the airline business, the flight attendant would be the one that would have the customer service mentality, but not necessarily for whatever reason. Maybe it's just that day, but some of them I see fairly regularly and they routinely don't have this mentality. And yet I've met a custodian at American Airlines at DFW that is just the most customer service oriented person in the world. And, and I've met CEOs, too, who say, um, well, sure, you're a customer. And if I can help you, I will. You know, my brother is a pilot for Southwest Airlines, and, and, and there's a lot more customer service mentality over there um, than there is at a lot of other airlines, unfortunately. Um, but it's good for Southwest Airlines. Uh, and, and, and partly, it's a choice we make. It's largely a choice each one of us an individual makes. And the point of this cast is to see people more expansively as a customer, and that will give you the energy to then think, okay, how can I over-communicate with them? Look, let me just mention, I mean, you mentioned there are a lot of other examples, but I do want to make the point that even treating people who supply information to you as a customer can help. You know, we're used to the fact that we have to give information to people like the phone company, for, for instance, in order to get service from them. And despite the fact that it can be frustrating at times for service provisioning, um, staying now nice helps in those situations. In the same way, we need to give information to other teams in order to get service from them, right? And, and it's, it's reciprocal, but it's not really thought of as a customer relationship, but treating it as a customer relationship. In other words, they need something from me, so therefore they're my customer, or if I wouldn't define them as a customer, a customer service mentality in giving them the things they need from me will help the relationship and will increase the chances that I'll get back the stuff I want from them with high quality, high quantity, and appropriate frequency. So whatever your job, whether it's IT or engineering or sales, whether you're at the bottom, whether you're at the top of the organization, you're going to have customers. As a manager, 
you could argue you have customers, which is your team, because they consume the information, the guidance you give them and the guidance is, you know, the, the service you give them so they can give you the work back that you need. Your peers could be your to your customers, your boss's peers directs, your boss's boss. Look, no matter where you are, even as executive, even as a senior executive, you still have customers and those customers tend to be more important to the organization than those of your directs, the higher you go in the organization. Yeah. And one, one could argue if you if you didn't have any customers, if you argue that you don't have any customers, then <laughs> your organization probably oughtn't to exist. <laughs> You're not providing yeah, look, value I mean, to the organization. <laughs> Right. How often have we heard of somebody saying, you know, yeah, my, my department, my entire department got cut. And you kind of wonder, gee, is that really clumsy layoff? Is it poorly done or whatever? And then you realize the consulting firm or the analysis showed they didn't have any customers. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, organizations don't tolerate departments that don't add value. And if they don't, if, if there's no one who perceives themselves as a customer of that organization, that organization is pretty short for the world. And, you know, when we talk to clients, they tell us the organization wouldn't, their organization wouldn't exist without them. They tell us, you know, sales is the most important department or fulfillment is the totally most important or R&D or whatever. And, and look, that, that, that's nice, but it leads to uh, a thinking that I'm everybody's customer and nobody is my customer. And look, in our experience, it, as arrogant as I may have sounded three, four or five years ago, the fact is I know that we serve customers and having a service mentality and being willing to identify other people as a customer in order to make the, the communication and the interchange, the business exchange, professional, fluid, smooth, and as, with as little conflict as possible, thinking about them as a customer helps. Yeah, and it's simplest. I mean, it's really, it, it is incredibly simple, right? Anyone who's waiting on an action from you on your to-do list is your customer. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And if you looked at the whole entire year of your of your to-do list, you'd go, ooh, that makes it everybody. Yeah. Good. Okay. So now that we've uh, got people excited about the fact that almost everybody in the organization is their customer, now we're going to tell them to do something real simple, which is just communicate twice as often as you think you need to. Yeah. Great. I, I do want to apologize. I do want to apologize here. I know our, I know our casts are known for, for audio quality, and we're terribly sorry, but I'm actually home in Texas, which is a, a lovely place to be on occasion. And I'm in the middle of a torrential downpour with thunderclaps every two or three minutes. So if you're hearing a less than perfect audio quality, all it means is that Paul Figiani continues to do a great job. And there are some things you simply can't clean up in the background. So if you're hearing less than high quality from my end, it's not because I'm traveling. It's because I'm home and it's pouring cats and dogs outside. That said, going going back to your point, right? Communicate twice as often. At least, um, at least you don't have the rooster anymore. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's true. I, actually, there are roosters, but but I think they're I think they're drowned. <laughs> so, we recommend you communicate as twice twice as often as you think you need to. To use this rule, all you need to do is look at the list of customers on your to do list and decide to communicate it twice as often as you need to. If you normally communicate with somebody once a week, step it up twice a week. If you normally communicate once a day. And it happens. There are there are communication intensive roles out there. Make it twice a day. Now, don't worry about how, okay? It depends on the nature of the work, right? It may be email, it may be voicemail, it may be IM, it may be Twitter for all we know. It depends on how many people you communicate with. And there is certainly, we have some nod of the head toward um, your ability to actually do all that. You know, obviously safe to assume email and voicemail are fine and it works beautifully. 
And to be fair, those of you who are going to say, well, communication is what the listener does. And so if I leave a voicemail, I'm not really communicating. Yes, you're absolutely right. And we're using communication in the old fashioned sense, which is to project information, to to uh, send information to them on the status of the activity, the relationship and so on. Look, in the majority of organizations, what happens is pretty straightforward. You order some software to be bought and it's got to be loaded on your computer. In large company, this is done. It's online purchasing systems, right? But in smaller companies, you may speak to somebody directly. The request is it, it, they're given a ticket number. It's added to the queue. Maybe you get a notification, but you don't always know how long it'll be or what will happen next. You know, in our experience at large organizations, somebody turns up at your desk, tells you it's arrived and you'll need to shut down your computer for the next four hours. And, you know, Murphy's Law of Customer Service, it's always when you need to be working on a critical presentation. And we all know there's a better way, right? I mean, seriously, there, there is an enormous body of data that shows that when you're in a telephone queue, hearing that you're third in the queue. Or 117th. <laughs> or if you're 100th in the queue, uh, knowing how long it's going to be, makes you feel better than not knowing anything at all, right? And that's the point of what we want to we want to recommend that you give to your customers. We want you to communicate with them at every point in the process and in the points in between. And since it's difficult to remember to communicate when nothing's happening, we want to make it easy for you by suggesting you make it about time periods rather than activity. Don't be tempted to skip a moment to report because you have nothing to report. Changing the way you communicate with customers, in other words, adding, increasing the frequency, doesn't only make them feel better about the service and what's happening, it also reinforces that you actually are doing work that they can't see. And that's a huge, huge thing. I mean, everyone knows the work they're working on, but they don't always assume that everyone else is doing the work that they need to be working on. But knowing that they are, even if you produce at the same level and quality and quantity as some other service provider internally in your organization, over communicating about it, communicating twice as often as you think you need to, you'll have better relationships with that customer. You know, if you go back to our, the, I think the first cast we ever talked about customers was, was improving your relationship with an internal customer, right? And what we suggest is particularly if you're a new manager and you have internal service customers, to go and visit with them. And we suggested a series of questions designed to find out what internal customers value, what they need. And there are a lot of managers who say, well, I, I really can't do that because I'm afraid they're gonna tell me X, Y, and Z that I'm not doing or that we haven't done. Or, you know, maybe I've been in the job for a year and I, I learned about this idea and I don't, I don't wanna do it. The fact is, if you're not doing X, Y, and Z, finding out sooner is better. It may be embarrassing, but the sooner you find out about something, the lower the embarrassment, right? If you're in IT and you're fixing a problem, when you have to report every hour, because that's what the rule says, we're not suggesting that's what the rule should say, but it may be that your rule is every every morning or you know twice a day, and we would then suggest four times a day. If you're forced to do that, if you have to report that often, you're going to be forced to report that you tried 15 things and that some stuff you've tried hasn't worked. And frankly, you might think, gosh, are they going to get the impression that you know it's a problem and we're behind schedule? Well, they'll have that impression if you're not communicating, if it's taking longer than they think it should. And of course, nothing's impossible if the person doesn't have to do it himself. So he, by definition, I do this to Mike all the time. I assume, well, that'll take 15 minutes, right? And he says, no, it'll take about six months. And so your customer will be comforted knowing you're doing something, even if you haven't solved the problem. 
I'm always amazed by, by news reporters at a disaster or an incident site that lacking in information from folks, they make something up. Well, that's what customers do. They make stuff up in their head. And of course, the worst people to be doing that are reporters. But if they don't get any new information, well, we don't have any new information, but it would seem to me they're probably doing X or Y or Z. And you hear three different reporters saying three different things. That gives you some sense of what your customers are thinking. They don't know. They want to know. And so lacking that because they're, they think of themselves as smart people, they'll make something up. And that's the story they'll tell. And look, we hate to say it, folks, but depending upon the circumstances, hourly may not be too often to communicate with your customer. There are times when I'm traveling where uh, there's been a glitch, uh, like recently flying to Atlanta and landing in Jacksonville, Florida. And in that case, I not only wanted Wendy to answer my questions about what was going to happen in terms of my travel, making it to Atlanta that evening. But also, I wanted her to tell me what she was doing. I wanted to know that that certain things were happening that I assumed would happen, but I didn't know they would happen. And if I was going to be in the air or if I was going to be on the ground or the flight attendant was going to take my, my cell phone away from me because we had to take off or whatever, I wanted to know. I wanted proactive communication. And so we were communicating every five minutes, even when I wasn't asking a question. And when he was saying things like, okay, I've talked to Gail, our travel agent, or I've talked to American Airlines, or I've talked to the car service, or I've talked to your family uh, who was waiting on me arriving. If you're in maintenance and the customer's waiting for something that has to be fixed, it's critical. Let them know the job's been queued, or the, the, that the engineer's been allocated, an engineer's on route, that the engineer's arrived. That, you know, that's not too much information. If the engineer is a half hour late, when it should take, let's say, an hour, of course, that's a 50% uh, variance. And if it takes an hour and a half and the customer thinks it, it's supposed to take an hour, the customer will respond very differently to an hour and a half before they know what the status is than three steps along the way. Okay, the engineer has been chosen, the engineer is driving and so on. Um, now, the variance may only be five or 10 or 15 minutes, or even if it's a total half hour, they know that the engineer has already left. And so then there's a problem in route rather than did the engineer even leave? And is it, is it an hour and a half from now when I'm thinking, where's my engineer? So maybe your customer deletes the emails or voicemail, but the willingness to communicate, even when the communication is going to be, well, we're behind schedule. The willingness to communicate is a statement, you're a customer, this is what I would want if I were you. And it demonstrates your professional professionalism and your concern and care for them. Yeah. What about the opposite end of the scale? You know, not things that take, you know, that happen on a daily basis. What about things that are several months or even a year in the normal reporting period to say weekly or monthly? Yeah, then I think going to twice weekly or, or, or bi-weekly, right? Bi-weekly means twice a week or once every two weeks. Going to twice weekly will increase your customer's perception of the service and decrease the amount of negative communication that you experience. Folks, you have our word that if you increase the frequency of your communication, you are then setting a stand, you are setting a high likelihood, 90 plus percentage that the, the, the vehemence of complaints when there is a service delay, a service outage, or a service shortfall will be reduced. Increase the frequency of your communication, decrease the vehemence of complaints when there's a, a shortfall. Do you think when doing this that you're going to get comments from folks that, hey, hey, stop it. You're just, you're communicating way too much to me. Um, here's what we would say. We actually, um, 
we could make the statement we've not experienced that re- that reaction. Okay, I've never seen it. Now, look, uh, many people who are listening know I happen to have a fondness for customer service. I think it's a I think it's a, an easy thing to add to your repertoire. It's an easy thing to get better at. It's a competitive advantage because so few people do it well. And unfortunately, it's not only not done well, it's done really, really poorly in a lot of places because as we tangent went off on a tangent on earlier is because of a function of role power and power and people not wanting to subordinate themselves to another. And yet, you know, that's that's part of what love is, right? And love is love is the answer in so many cases. The answer is the only times I've ever heard, you really don't need to communicate with me that often, is with a bit of a chuckle, with a bit of a, you know, you don't really need to do that that often. But they're not actually saying, please stop. What they're saying is, I'm trying to be respectful of the fact that you're communicating more frequently than I need. And yet it never happens when there's a crisis, when there's a difficulty, when there's a conflict, when there's a disagreement. So we rarely hear it. When we hear it, it's a bit of a, you know, you don't need to do it quite this often. But there's a, but I know every time I've heard it, every time I've recommended it in an organization, and we've done this in call centers, we've done this in, in processing facilities, we've done it in Walmart distribution centers, we've done it in, in uh, grain feed lots, we've done it in agricultural processing centers, we've done it in software fulfillment houses. The only times we've ever heard, oh, you're communicating with me too much, is a bit of embarrassment, like a, a bit of a, the customer saying, I'm, I'm not all that important. Wow, you're really making me terribly important. I'm not all that important. And of course, that's exactly what you want. You want the customer to be thinking, wow, they really think I'm important. If you're going to communicate too much or too little, right? Because I've said before, there are three types of frequency of communication, too much, too little, or exactly the right amount. Since we know we'll never be able to be exactly right, the question is simply, do we want to communicate too much or too little? I'll be happy to exchange the comment of you're communicating with me too much from the danger of communicating too little and therefore increasing the vehemence with which our customers address us when we have a service shortfall. Yeah, I'm not too much into suggesting to folks what a proper mindset is. I I just think that's a dangerous, a dangerous place to go. But that said, this is one of those areas where the difference between thinking of yourself as a partner and thinking of the other person as your customer makes a big difference. Because really, the, the issue is, the question is, as I'm ought to say, prone to say, <laughs> the, the question is not what is necessary to be communicated as a partner. The question is, what does the customer want to have communicated and how often? And if you put yourself in the position of the customer, you'll find out that you'd like to be communicated to probably twice as often as yeah. you are, right? Exactly. Good. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So we're now going to communicate twice as much. What are we going to communicate? That's equally as important. Yeah. Th- this is where probably we're breaking some new ground for a lot of people. Every communication needs to have three components. The current situation, next steps, and potential issues and the solutions associated with those issues. Okay. And rather than, than talking about theory, let's just, go, let's just go right to some examples. So first one, current situation. We've ordered the parts. We expect them to be delivered on Thursday. Next step. Once the parts are delivered, it's going to take four hours for the engineer to get to your site to fix the problem. And the potential issue is if the part is not delivered on Thursday, there may be a further delay, obviously. We're tracking the delivery. I'll inform you as soon as we have a confirmed delivery time. Okay. Another example, current situation. I have created a contract and sent it to legal for approval. I'm expecting their confirmation by close of business on, on Thursday. 
Okay. The next steps, the contract should be printed on Friday and FedEx to you to arrive on Monday before 9 a.m. The potential issue is if the contract doesn't reach the print queue on Friday, I'll send you a PDF and we'll accept the signature on the PDF faxed to us on Friday as a binding contract pending the official one, which will go in the official records. Okay. Another example, current situation. We expect the call center system, the telephony system to be down for the next two days. Oh, that's a good one. Calls are, you know, being rerouted to the service center in Manila and on our and our service center in Mumbai. We have drafted in an extra 10% staff for those two centers and the call center wait times have gone up by 3%, okay? Our next step is an update expected from the telephone service provider at noon today. And the potential issue is if the telephone company suggests a further delay, then we're going to cancel leave or, you know, break time and extend hours of service for people in Manila and Mumbai. And we're going to also consider bringing in some of the folks that we have in Budapest online to answer these calls to essentially address the volume we've lost by the call center that is down. Now, there are people listening who go, well, gee, that sounds like you're solving a problem in advance. Yes, it is. Or gee, I can't solve the problem until the problem is actually here. You're right. You can't. And you can think about it. And the, the best thing in the world is to talk to somebody who says, yeah, we anticipated this problem and we're already working on it. We knew this is a potential out, out, outage issue and it's rare, but we've already uh, um, action planned for it. We all already have um, recovery plans in place and we would move to that recovery plan. Yeah, you, you could think that... Um getting somebody excited about a problem before it even occurs could be a, a negative. But the fact is that in most cases, the person already aware is the, of the potential problem. Um, yeah. The fact that you haven't communicated doesn't mean they're not aware. And yeah. if you don't communicate it proactively, they assume potentially that you're not aware. And not that aware. if it were to happen, exactly. you don't have an action plan. Yeah. It's interesting. All of the low communication decisions that people make when they're thinking about internal customers are built on fear. I don't want to say something's not going to happen. I don't want to suggest something's going to be late. And yet all of the successful customer interactions are based on not fear, right? But service, the idea that I would want to know, it doesn't matter if I were them, I would want to know. It doesn't matter how bad it makes me look. I want them to know. I, I want to tell them more, even if it makes me look bad, because that's what I'd want to know. It's the difference of putting myself first versus putting the other person first. And the moment you start putting the other person first, subservient, you know, su uh, uh, subordinating yourself, you get a completely different outcome in terms of the likely behaviors you engage in. Yeah. They don't think of you as, as acting in a subordinate role. They, they simply respect your honesty and professionalism. Yeah. Yeah. And they say, wow, I want to, I want to be more like him. This is a guy who's willing to admit when he's wrong. Right. Yeah. Um, so example four, you know, current situation, we're still waiting for the $10 million overage to hit the account. We're still within the three days originally advised to us by the bank. Next steps, you know, as before, we're going to action the overage as soon as we're notified it's on the account. If it doesn't hit within the three days the bank told us about, we're going to call our account manager to understand better what the delay is. And the potential issue is the delay continues past three days. There are going to be some additional charges. We've already advised the bank. We expect those to be refunded. It's like we said, you may be concerned about telling your customers about what might go wrong, but it just isn't, we don't see that as a problem. And oftentimes when we suggest new things to clients or to members or to listeners on manager tools or career tools, we get the pushback of, well, that won't work. And we're, part of us says, gee, you've never tried it. How come it won't work? When we hear that won't work, what we actually 
really think to ourselves is that's not the way I do it and the way I do it works. Well, of course, there, there's an old saying in American baseball, which is you can't steal second while keeping your foot on first, right? And so you can't try something new while continuing to do it the old way. Customers respect honesty and professionalism. They respect uh, service shortages. It's okay. They understand them, right? And they respect somebody who knows that shortfalls require contingency plans. And the more you communicate proactively about potential problems, the more they know you're likely to have a problem, uh, have a solution to the problem when it happens. So a good example then of that is one-on-ones, right? On manager tools, we recommend you meet weekly with your folks for a half an hour. That's a technique that once you start it, we know you're never going to stop. And we know the same thing is true for this career tools guidance to over-communicate to your customers. Because once you start, your customers are going to love it and you'll never stop. Yeah. Like we covered, it's it's pretty simple. First, you got to regard everybody as a customer, right? Everyone's a customer. At least think through who your customers are. and then start communicating to them the way they would like to be communicated to, which is about twice as often as you'd normally think. And then we talked about specifically what to communicate, the current situation, the next steps, and then be proactive, describe potential issues and what you're going to do about it should the problems arise. There you go. Pretty straightforward. Thanks, partner. All right, my friend. We'll see you. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll see you all again next week. So long.